0: Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai, or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai, and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. I am your host, Jennifer Shinkai, and I'm very, very happy to have with me today my long-term mentor and absolute, you know, we talk about multi-potentialites. I've had a few on, on this podcast before, but a woman with her fingers in so many pies, like always active, always doing something, the absolutely fabulous Rochelle Cox. So thank you so much for being here, Rochelle. And well, thank you. Thank you. And as I threatened to share again, the story of how we met. Um, it's one of the great stories of the power of keeping connections and the power of uh, networking, LinkedIn, and um, yeah, just reminding people that you exist. So when I was leaving my Uh, No, I was leaving the English language school that I had worked in when I first came to Japan. I was like, oh, I want to be a corporate trainer because I've been doing some in-house training. And I interviewed for Rochelle's company, Japan Intercultural Consulting. And um, she's like, you sound very nice. You're lovely. I'm not these are not her exact words, but her exact words were, if you want to be a corporate trainer, you need to have some corporate experience. So I went away, you know, a little deflated, but also that's that's a good point. So I went off and then 12 years later, I contacted Rochelle, I think on LinkedIn and said, 12 years ago, do you remember me? You interviewed me. I've had some corporate uh, experience now. Uh, Are you still looking for trainers? And delightedly, you met me for an interview and a coffee. And um, yeah, I'm very happy to be one of the consultants working with Japan Intercultural Consulting. And I love working with your clients. They're all amazing and the content's fabulous. And um, yes, so very grateful uh, for your amazing advice. Hang on, that's 19 years ago because I've been running my business for seven years this year and for the last seven years, your support as well. But I've just introduced you with a story about myself. Uh, So really, to be a good host, (laughs) I should tell everybody who Rochelle is. So as I mentioned, you know, multi-potentialite, so many things going on. She's a consultant, an author, a mentor, an educator, a board director. Um, I've already mentioned about Japanese intercultural consulting, which is working with um, communication, leadership, human resources, many different Japanese companies and global companies doing business in Japan but that's not it. Running a business? No, that's not all she does. Uh, Rochelle's also a writer. She's published over 35 books on intercultural <laughs> communication and management topics. I was pleased with myself that I've got like two little tiny kids books out, but she's also working on um, writing in Japanese as well in the Asahi and the Nikkei Sango Shimbun. So a polyglot as well, outside director, board director to two Japanese company, a mentor, And very interestingly, if you are currently in Tokyo, you may know about the um, Meiji Jingu Mai redevelopment plan, um, which is basically planning to turn this green oasis into some skyscrapers. Um, Great, great plan. But her petition on change.org has now got Almost. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inflate your numbers a little bit because I think by the time this comes out, it will be there. It will almost be at 200,000 signatures. And last year she was named as one of Change.org, Japan's Changemakers of the Year. Whew. Welcome, Rochelle. Thank you for making the time.
1: Well, to, thank you. I'm delighted the, to be here.
0: Okay. Um, and, and several times, you know, Rochelle was, was so busy, we're like, oh, no, we need to reschedule. Something's come up. So um, I really appreciate you being here and making the time to share your views on Ikigai and um, your current activities as well as an activist, which is a, a new source of Ikigai. But let's take a step back. And um, as a Japan expert, I'd love to get your thoughts and um, around the definition or your experience of the word of Ikigai.
1: Well, I have been a fan of you know everyone knows the three part Venn diagram, and I think maybe I was one of the people who found it early on. I'm sure. There was a, a gal who had a a a blog called uh, what was it? It had had the word bullshit in it, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> um, but anyways, I think you know I actually had some in um interactions with people on on twitter about where the origin of where this was and i think maybe she was the one who came up with it and other people took it from her it's debatable but anyways and she's she's gone off to do other things but um i had actually found it and used it in um a book that i published that i want to say now i think it was 2015 i published the Mm -hmm. book so i had Founded and liked that diagram pretty early on. Right. Um, the book that I had, was doing at the time was for Japanese and was talking about how HR needs to change in Japan and there's going to be a more fluid labor market. Right. And the last chapter of the book was for individuals. You know, the the, the main part of the book was for companies. You're going to have to change how you do HR and change the mindset. But then for the last chapter, you as individual employees, you're going to need to change how you think about your own career mm-hmm. and take more of a leading role in thinking about, well, what is it that you want to do and how do you contribute, rather than just doing what you've been told or taking the assignment you've been given. And so to help illustrate that, I, I use that diagram. Right. And I've also used that diagram with um, university students Mm. who are trying to think about what they want to do is a good so it's I think it's a great framework so I've I've always kind of you know like that concept ever since I found it a while ago
0: yeah do you have a memory of of the you know hearing the word ikigai sort of in your Japanese conversations before you became aware of this interpretive framework no so- no
1: I had, was not aware of it before that it's I... not a word that I hear used frequently right. in regular conversations
0: Yes, exactly. So, what one of the things which I um, I love to talk about is like this: the the ikigai Venn diagram. It is a really great coaching tool, really brilliant career planning tool. But when people come to Japan or like thinking about or how do Japanese people think about ikigai, they're not looking at like a four-part Venn diagram. And as you said, so no. you've been in Japan for how long now, or been? Well, I've been to going Japan? back
1: and forth uh, yeah. between Japan and the US my entire adult life,
0: so it's right. been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. We'll we'll just leave an edge of mystery <laughs> there. Uh-huh. But you know, even someone who is so connected to Japan, fluent Japanese speaker, like it's just not really a word that gets kind of thrown around a lot in in daily conversation. No, um. So there's not. a there's a myth bust there. Um, but when you think about for yourself, you know, how you experience ikigai, what it means to you, um, you mentioned in our, like in our notes, um, you have two sources of ikigai. So can you tell me a little bit about those two sources? Well, certainly. So one is
1: my sort of career that I've created for myself as an intercultural consultant, mm. where, you know, I I had considered doing different things. And at one point I was thinking of becoming a, you know, a university professor or something like that. But I realized that I enjoyed more doing the consulting because part of what really is motivating for me is seeing how I can help people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you obviously do that in university teaching, but it's a much more diffuse and longer term thing. Whereas when you're consulting with clients, you can see right away that you're able to help them immediately. And I found that very motivating. So I've, you know, by having my own company, I've been able to design a career that puts together that, you know, what I'm good at and what I'm uniquely good at, what, what people need and what I get paid for you. I definitely did that three-part Venn diagram with (laughs) you know creating my own firm.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really powerful. Um, you know, the work that you're doing and how you're you're supporting that that helping people, like having that idea of helping people, like making uh, international business communication easier, less stressful, um, raising awareness. It's really powerful. But then you have this other uh, newer source of Ikigai as an activist.
1: Like yeah. How, so how's I, how's I, had I, I, if you had told me a few years ago I was going to become an activist, I would have said, what? Are you crazy? Although I had done a few environmental activist or anti-development activist of things in the past. I can tell you about those if you want.
0: Yeah, so it's not
1: like I'd never done it before, but um, not sort of fully jumped in the way I have with this one. And it was a little bit, I, I, I think it kind of got to be a bigger thing than I was expecting it to be. And um, just to give you the whole story, it actually started um, not with this current Jingu Gayan project, but with another petition that I launched right before the Tokyo Olympics. And mm. the reason I did a petition at that time is that there was a plan to do public viewing sites at various different locations um, with a key one at Yoyogi Park, uh, which is the big park right next to Harajuku Station.
0: So tell, tell us more about what this petition okay, was about. Okay, certainly. Yeah.
1: So, so well, what it was is, you know, again, I'm kind of a Twitter addict and I had seen a tweet by someone who lived near the park who was sharing concerns that they had seen signs in the park that said that it's part of, building this public viewing facility. So let me explain what a public viewing is. Mm. The idea is, you know, you can't accommodate everyone at the Olympic venues. So you have these viewing facilities that have a giant, giant screen, and people gather there, and it's outside, and they drink beer, and they enjoy watching the sports. Now, people who went to these for the 2019 Rugby World Cup said that they were really a lot of fun. Yes. So that's great if it's not in the middle of a pandemic and so the idea that they were going to have they were going to spend a lot of money building these facilities that were designed to accommodate literally thousands of people why would we be bringing thousands of people together in the middle of a pandemic when it really didn't even make sense to be doing the olympics yeah and so you know that i thought that seems pretty stupid. And also they were going to be, as the signs in the park had said, um, cutting off tree limbs. And it wasn't clear how many, but it, the way it was phrased, it could have been all the tree limbs under, um, I think it was um, three meters or something like that. You know, So something like that would be kind of a lot of tree limbs to be cutting right. down. And I thought, this seems like a really bad idea. Mm. Why would you be disfiguring trees for something that is, you know, going to only be a few weeks? Yeah, that's, you know, that that I really didn't like that idea. And I thought, okay, I don't think that many people are really going to care about this. But I think this just sounds incredibly stupid. and, And someone needs to say something. And maybe this is partially my um, culture as an American. Like, maybe I'll speak up about it. You and know, I had a fair number of Twitter followers, particularly on my Japanese account, because I'd already had a habit of, of saying my opinion in Japanese. And so there's a little bit of novelty. There's there's not that mm. many non-Japanese who tweet in Japanese. Nice. And I um had, you know, and also people who are fans of my books, etc. So I'd had a fair fair number of Twitter followers. And I thought, you know, I've got a platform and there had been a change.org petition by a lawyer named Kenji Utsunomiya um, asking that the whole Olympics not go forward. Yeah. And that had gotten a tremendous number of signatures. I think it was 250,000 or something more than that, some huge number. And I thought, this shows that Japanese are into petitions. And that this is a a thing that works in Japanese society. And I think it was kind of a new thing. And I thought, why don't I just try putting up a petition and see what happens? Well, people went absolutely crazy. I think part of what what it was is I think people were really, really frustrated in Tokyo that the Olympics were going forward because most people were not happy about it. And they weren't able to get the government to not do it, even though All these people signed the petition and they were protesting. But at least this is one thing. At least could you not do this? At least could you just stop this? And so I think people just got really into it. And we ended up with 154,000 signatures. I had to take basically a week off of work because I was on Japanese TV like every day and all these reporters were calling me. And it was just sort of crazy. And then finally, Governor Koike sort of cried uncle. And she said, okay, we're not going to hold the public viewing for the Olympics. We're still going to build the facility because of course they had had all the contracts in place and they wanted to pay whoever um but we're going to use it as a vaccination station for policemen and firemen which is something of course that you could never um you, criticize, you no,
0: right? no um, yeah smart no you
1: can' can't criticize that right yeah. and, and maybe well if things are better well, by the time the Paralympics come around maybe we'll use it for that yeah. um they ended up doing the trimming of the tree limbs only a few days after I'd started the petition. And so it wasn't enough time to like try and negotiate with them or get involved. But um, an Asahi Shimbun reporter got someone from the metropolitan government on record saying that they kept the number of tree limbs being cut to the bare minimum Mm -hmm. because they knew people were watching. And Mm -hmm. one of the people who lives in the neighborhood and knows the park really, really well said that Trees that were marked to have limbs cut appeared to not have them cut. Right. And and I went and checked that too. And it seemed that they did less than they were planning to.
0: Right.
1: Um, And it was in the TV. It was all over it. It was a big thing. So, mm. but that was basically, you know, that, that was pretty much the best you were, outcome you were going to get from that. So that was successful. So that was in 2021. 20, then fast forward to February of 2022. And again, on Twitter, I saw news about this giant redevelopment plan for Jingu that a university professor had looked at the plan and determined that a thousand trees would need to be chopped down to do it. And it had been passed by the metropolitan, um, you know, sort of the planning committee, the urban planning committee of the government. And the head of the committee said, well, there's been sufficient discussion. I'm like, there hasn't been any discussion at all. Most people are hearing about it for the first time. And I just looked at it and like, this looks really bad. Mm. And if people were that upset about cutting off a bunch of tree limbs, how are they going to feel about a thousand trees? So I put a little note on my Japanese Twitter and I said, mm, this looks really bad. I think I should do another petition. What do you guys think? And everyone's like, yes, yes, yes. You know, the peanut gallery yeah. blows up. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> I'll do, I'll do a petition. And then it's just become this, like, you know, fucking job, basically, since then. It's been just crazy. Because, unfortunately, um, Kawike did not buckle on this one. Mm. And instead, she has dug in her heels. It, frankly, makes no sense to me. And she's in, basically, a political bind. And all the tabloids have been pointing it out that, you know, it, it, people are very upset with her. Because not only is there this plan at Jingu there are two other park redevelopment plans that will also sacrifice over a 1,000 trees. Nice. And one is um, Kasai Marine Park, yep. and the other one is Hibiya Park, mm, okay. are very vulnerable to being developed. And in fact, I've been learning a lot about these issues in Japan this year, and have discovered that parks all over Japan are being threatened by these park redevelopment plans. And the way they work is that it's a a privatization scheme. And so the government will give rights to run the park to a private entity who then has the incentive to make a profit from it. And the way they do it is by building cafes, or stores, or- Event space. Right, yeah. Event space, Space. exactly. Or something else that, of course, when they build those, they always end up chopping down trees
0: instead. Yeah, because you need to have a flat, open space where people can bring their tents, they can bring their, you know, food trucks and things like that. Or whatever it
1: is, yes. They want to stick stuff in parks. And, you know, the thing is for developers in Japan, because plots are very small, Mm. when they want to do something like, like a Roppongi Hills or other development, It's usually very difficult for developers because they have to um, assemble all these small pieces of land. They have to negotiate with all of the landholders. It's a big pain in the neck. But yeah. if you have a park, you only have one entity you have to negotiate with, and that's yes. the local government. And for the local government, they're like, oh, we can make money and oh, we can look like we're doing something and we can say like, oh, it's gonna be green oasis, even though yeah. you're making a skyscraper. Yes. You know, but it's 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 very much um, one word I've learned recently in Japanese is yater kan. So yaterkan. you look like you're doing something.
0: Mm. A new word, yatirikan. okay. Yeah. Wow. So, y- y- so rem- yeah. Yeah, it's reminding me of um, a previous guest on the podcast, uh, Noemi Inoue, who is a counselor in Sumidoku. And we recently had a redevelopment of um, uh And exactly what you said, you know, trees were knocked out, beautiful sakura trees were knocked down. And now we have this uh, Mizumachi... Lot cafes and then there's this big concrete area so that we can have festivals but because yeah trees don't make money
1: right, <laughs> right. exactly trees, exactly
0: yeah Trees. although, don't make although money.
1: actually the thing that i've also discovered is is that there is an entire branch of study out that is almost completely unknown in japan mm. about the value that trees bring and i've even seen academic studies that have given a dollar amount Ooh. for each thing that a tree in an urban setting does and the, the largest dollar amount is for controlling um, water runoff but also trees have a cooling effect yeah they also absorb co2 and they absorb air pollution and also there's a great number of studies that show the mental health impacts of having trees including one study in japan that showed that risk for suicide was lower if you lived near a park. Wow. So there's a lot of compelling sort of academic study data on the value of trees for a variety of different purposes. And when I Google in English, value of urban trees, I mean, you just get you know, hundreds and hundreds of links and studies. Yeah. If you Google in Japanese, toshiko, uh, Toshi Jumoku no Kachi, same thing. Yeah. Almost nothing comes up. Right. So it's like a field of study that's that's almost unknown in Japan. Mm. And so because of that what we see is governments think that trees are just disposable and don't value them and there's a lot of other troubles with um unnecessarily cutting down street trees and this mm. year Osaka is going to cut down 10,000 trees. Yeah. They but say no one's
0: no one's cutting down the sugi, and we've all got Kafuncha. We've all got exactly um, those. If cedar you're going to cut down trees, trees, those would be the ones to cut down. <laughs> yes, and somehow that's ones, not
1: happening, right? Which of course, yeah. yeah, the
0: wrong trees are being uh, are definitely being the cut wrong down. trees.
1: Yeah, the sugi ones would be ones. Yeah, there's a lot of issues with those with the forests that have been built. Um The bottom dropped out of the Japanese forestry market when they started letting imports in in the '80s, and so there's no economic incentive to harvest all those sugi trees. And so that's mm. why we have the big buildup. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, uh, I, the thing about the Japanese economy is I feel like money gets spent on the wrong stuff.
0: Mm. Right. And so this is, and this redevelopment is, is one of those for you. Yes. Yeah, um, exactly. So you, so you said, uh, you know, if I'd asked you uh, like five years ago, Rochelle activist, how's that hanging? He said you'd never have believed it. Like what, what What was it that was maybe the catalyst for you to move from someone should do something to like, that's going to be me?
1: I just sort of thought, what the heck? Why don't I give it a try? There's nothing stopping me. I work for myself. It's not, none of my clients are really going to care that I'm doing this or not. And they don't seem to. Um, And someone should say something and, and why don't I just speak up? I mean, that was just really my thought.
0: Yeah, just that. I think it's really powerful to people when they move from that someone should to, well, if not me, then who? And right, exactly.
1: No one else like, is gonna do this. anything about it, right? Yeah. And I, I'm sort of like, what What do I have to lose to try?
0: Yeah, and as you said, like you're uniquely placed because you have this big Twitter following, you've worked in, uh, worked in this area, you know, you've been active in this um, environmental urban redevelopment area before. Um, So you've got connections and credibility around it. Well,
1: well, I actually, I won't say that. Um, Before I did the thing with Yoyogi Cohen, Mm. I had been involved in sort of protesting environmental things three times. But that was over the course of like, probably like 30 years. So it's not like it was a big part of my life. But it is something that I had done successfully a few times. But I didn't have any connections or anything like that, or didn't really like have any kind of guidebook. But I had, I had done a a couple times. And so that did give me some Confidence, I guess. Right. Um, The first time was when I was working in Japan in my 20s. I was working at a Japanese bank and actually my job was doing international public relations for that bank. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had some experience in PR and I had done work in PR in my first job out of college in the US too. And so I had some experience in that field and there was a plan to build a parking lot underneath Shinobazu Pond in Ueno right which just imagine that is that insane or what of course that would just completely destroy this delicate ecosystem of that pond and it would just it would have been it would have killed it right yeah and so it was just it was this crazy plan and um a bunch of people locally were involved and this um gal named um Elizabeth Kiritani, who lived in that area, was involved and she had given a talk about it to to a foreign women's group that one of my friends belonged to. And so my, my friend told me and told me about, oh, I just heard about all this thing and the scale kiritani son and she's working on it and she's like, Rochelle, you have all this, you know, knowledge of how to do PR and you know the foreign press. Could you help us try and publicize this? And I said, sure, I'd be willing to give it a try. And what I was able to do is I, I reached out to a bunch of journalists and I contacted. There was a guy who wrote a column for the Japan Times about wild birds, like bird watching. Right. Um, and he, he's he's an author. He's he's still out there. I think he lives in Hokkaido or something. He writes books about you know wild birds of Japan. He was like, I think one is his nice seller. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's very niche, but he had a column in the Japan times like once mm-hmm. a month. And so I contacted him and I told him about this plan and he's like, that is just the worst idea I've ever heard. And Shinobazu pond is a valuable place for bird watchers. It's a, it's a yeah. place where wild birds come. It's an oasis for them. So he wrote a half page article in the Japan Times. And this is back when I think newspapers were a little bit larger than they were now, so a half page was like pretty big. Yeah. And yeah. this also was pretty internet I'm dating myself, yeah. but <laughs> um you know at that time like what was in the Japan Times was kind of a big deal. And so he wrote his entire column for that month raging against this plan and how bad an idea it was. And that, and of course in parallel, there were lots of other protests and things going on, but soon after that, the plan disappeared. Huh. So that was a taste of, oh, I could make a difference on things. Yeah. So I had that pretty early experience pretty early on.
0: Yeah. What's, what's that word? I can't remember it, Um. Uh. about like outside pressure in Japan. Gaiatsu.
1: Gaiatsu. Yeah, I'm definitely playing that role on this Jingu Gaiyan thing. I'm like mm-hmm. Gaiatsu, personified. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people we... are saying, why why is this foreigner talking about this? So many people say, Well, we Japanese should be speaking up about this. And like I, I kind of feel like again, it kind of gets into what, what's our role as non-Japanese in Japanese society. Mm. But I feel it's easier for me to speak up. I don't mm. have a compunction about doing it. Part of that is because I'm American, it's my culture. Right. Part of it's my personality. I'm used to being a consultant and a board member. I'm used to people listening to me. So I have some <laughs> confidence about saying stuff. And then the other thing is, is, as I said, I work for myself. Right. So, you know, it's, I, I think a lot of the Japanese activists who are involved in what we're doing, like, they don't want their names to put out because they're afraid their, their company might not approve of it. Right, and I don't. Ha- I don't work for a Japanese company. I don't have that issue. So yeah,
0: you don't need to that, go to the CEO for approval. Can I be doing this? You know, no, 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 no. no. I don't
1: have to worry about being hauled in and being <laughs> free, you know, um, free staff. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, because so, you know, one of my um, good Japanese friends. You know, when I started, she's like Rochelle, you're so brave, and I never thought about it as being brave, but that mm-hmm. was her perspective. Right. And I've had other Japanese people use that word also, and I'm like, well, that it doesn't, it didn't doesn't feel scary to me. It doesn't feel like I need a bravery, but it's very interesting that that a lot of Japanese I know have used that word.
0: Right, I look, I really like that perspective on this idea of like what's what's the role that I can uniquely play because of my like outsider status. Yeah, and yeah, I think it's that's a great that's a great inquiry, isn't it? Like people saying like, oh, you're so brave, but there's less risk. So as non-Japanese... You know, I'm not, and here. I'm not
1: bound by the, the sort of the strictures of Japanese society. Yeah. It makes it easier for me to deal with people. You know, I've been interacting with a lot of politicians and a lot of people from various parts of the political spectrum. And I'm like, I'm neutral. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't vote in Japan. I don't have a favorite party. Um, so that's, you know, it, again, it's, it's, I can play a little bit of a different role.
0: Wonderful. So that's a good, uh, good call in for listeners to think about. Like, what are the roles that you are uniquely set to play in your community, right. whatever identities that you uh, you carry, and where are the things where you can be that catalyst, you can take that action. Um, whilst you're, you know, involved in all of this, um, this activism, what are you learning about yourself and and your your sense of ikigai, of who you are, yeah. why you're here.
1: That's a good question. Well, you know, again, it's it's a good chance to reflect on, you know, what role can I play in Japanese society? Mm. It's been very interesting for me because it's another way of kind of pursuing what's really been my lifelong interest is understanding how things work in Japan Mm. and what makes Japanese society tick and how you influence and get things done in japanese organizations and so i've been learning a tremendous amount about that i've learned more about how things work on a government level and a a sort of a, a national level and a political level i'm also i work closely with a group of japanese activists we call we're a network so we're not like we call ourselves a network so it's not like a formal organization, right. but there's a bunch of people, for example, who had protested the new national stadium construction, and they had been arguing for preserving the the one from 1964, and of course mm-hmm. they didn't. Got that but they had you know worked together on that so there's a there's a editor of an architecture magazine and there's an architect who's um, an expert on preservation and then there's local residents in the area um, some of whom I've been activists on other topics like um, nuclear power etc so I, I kind of interact with this group of Japanese activists and so I'm the only non-Japanese and so it's a pretty like you know purely Japanese group dynamic setting right. and it's very interesting to kind of see how they do things and the way they go about things and mm-hmm. and again I can have a different voice and there was you know at one point there was someone who people had concern about and um, a few three of us were at uh, either side I was with three of the activists and at dinner we're talking about this and And so I'm like, well, why don't I just like write him an email and ask him that? And they're like, go for it, American woman. And then they started humming, you know, that American woman, you know, that song (laughs) for the 70s. And so they were just joking. They're like, yeah, go do that. Cause we don't feel comfortable doing that, but you can do that because of who you are. You get like a pass for doing it. Right. So I could write a fairly, I could ask a fairly direct question to someone that they didn't feel comfortable doing.
0: Mm. So that's still very even, interesting. Even within this like loose network, it doesn't have, you know, a hierarchical leadership or maybe this kind of you know, there's, there's none of the stakes of being in an organization and thinking about your career future, still that uh, tendency to, you know, maintain the work, keep the harmony, avoid direct conflict. Oh, it's and all there, yeah.
1: It's all yeah. there, and to go forward, you need to get consensus, and it can take a lot of time to build consensus, and we have very long meetings to try and build consensus, and yeah. lots of emails, so it's, it's again, it's fascinating to see how they work, hmm. and also, I've just learned so much more about how things work in the Japanese government, Right. Um. It's not always pretty. And in fact, yesterday I was just tweeting in Japanese. There's, um, no, I actually, I put it in my English too. There was just a, the report out on Japan being fairly low on the press freedom index. And mm. the reason they gave for it was that um, there's a lot of pressure, both from the government and from business to not report things that are not in their interest. I'm like, okay, I have a much stronger perspective on this now that i have directly experienced that happening right including um what appeared to have been my getting yanked off an internet tv show immediately prior um it it seemed pretty likely that the the developer called them up and told them not to
0: right Wow! Wow! Because they happen to be a sponsor of this channel. And, well, yeah, right, then, yeah. Then
1: the developer has been um, Mitsui Fudosan has been throwing their weight around and spending a lot of money on advertising. And you know, I don't have a TV. I don't like watching TV. But people watch TV. Say that their their um, commercials have become ubiquitous and annoying,
0: right? Because
1: they're just trying to show the TV stations. Guess where your money is coming from.
0: Right. So maybe you don't yeah. want to cover this story so much. Yes. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask a question, you know, because one of the, uh, you know, often when I'm talking about Ikigai, I'm like nice things and let's like follow um, the things which make us happy. Well, this is very like challenging and, and stressful. So, how do you like keep yourself motivated in this sort of David and Goliath um, environment? What keeps um, righteous, you going?
1: Indigna- righteous indignation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and righteous back, in fact, the
1: more the more I've gotten into this, I, I it really is just. I mean, it's it's sort of appalling to see. You know, I'm I'm listening to environmental assessment committees and and the developer, the way they talk to their to the committee, it's clear like they just view it as a formality, and this is such an annoyance, and and. Mm like like their whole tone and and then like the the city is like not even listening to its own environmental assessment committee and the committee had said we're not ready to give this a green light and the city pushed it through anyways you know it's just really it's pretty like running roughshod and you know not in the spirit of the law we'll right. see if it's illegal or not we 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 launched a lawsuit to try and test it because what some of the stuff they're doing it's pretty it's pretty borderline right sketchy yeah. um and, and it's so, the precedent uh, see, right yeah just, yeah and so yeah it's so it's just it's it's, it's basically been appalling mm. and so so definitely the righteous indignation like i can't i don't
0: I, they can't get away with this it's just nuts look i've got like uh goosebumps as you sharing this because one of the, um, I've forgotten who the researcher is, so I'll have to look for this and put this in the show notes later on. But they talk about three types of ikigai. So one is um, sort of personal ikigai, like it's about yourself, self-improvement, maybe your faith or like belief, um, taking care of your health. One is social ikigai, so helping other people, mm-hmm. um, you know, this type of activism. is, is one. And then another one is what they call like antisocial ikigai, and righteous indignation is a form of antisocial ikigai. It's like getting revenge. People can't get away with this. I'm not gonna let this happen. I'll show them they were wrong <laughs> about me. Um and a lot of like ikigai literature and discussion focuses on the social and the sort of personal um those those ideas. But I actually think this antisocial ikigai, like being driven to a degree by rage by righteous indignation by I'm not gonna let these people win um like waking up to have to go to that battle metaphorical battle um is it's a source of ikigai. guy you know your blood is pumping yeah. you are very aware that you are alive
1: <laughs> yes, um, that's true. yeah I definitely happen- have a I definitely have a competitive streak right I was a coxswain in college. So I I, you know, I did a competitive sport, even though I'm not a very athletic person. The coxswain is more, you know, you're win you're, you're a crew team, you know, yeah. you're directing the boat, nice. et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I was a lot skinnier then. <laughs> so I wasn't <laughs> such a big weight on the boat, but I definitely have like a competitive streak. And, you know, it's not something that I really use in my typical career.
0: Mm. A couple
1: times uh, I've been called on um, in the United States to be an expert witness in lawsuits. And that's like really your competitive and in like I'm I'm like I'm like tearing apart the other side's logic and whatever and and um it's it's a battle. And so I've I've done kind of well for my clients in a couple of situations like that where I was able to really like help them have a much stronger case and win. So you know, I kind of you know, I sometimes I enjoy the fight a little bit. So, you know, yeah. I think there is part of me that likes that. And the other thing I think of, too, is, um, you know, I'm Jewish, and there is a um, idea in the Jewish faith called tikkun olam, which is repair the world. So the idea is the world is not perfect. It's broken. And you have a responsibility to do what you can to try and make the world better. Um, So Mm. this is a reason why a lot of people who are Jewish go into professions like teaching or social work or um, like doctors. Hmm. Um, So so there's a reason um, that those are kind of popular because there is a thing in the faith that kind of says you know you should do this. Right. Um, and so i'm I'm one of these people who's Jewish who I' don't, like I never go to temple. I don't really <laughs> you know I, I eat pork and, and and shrimp all the time. you know, I'm not really into the ritual things, but I do think the values are very important to right. me. and so that's that's a really big Jewish value. And I think, um, you know, it's not like I'm doing this because I'm Jewish, but you know I do think that that idea is part, forms part of my worldview
0: i love that repair the world what a great sort of call to action and call to Mm -hmm. um to use those tools that you have whatever they might be
1: right Um, it's an idea that everyone has a personal responsibility to actually do something about things that they see that are not good
0: wonderful yeah i'm thinking where 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 i need to repair the world love it um so we're coming towards uh, the end of our time together, and I'm sure that you have uh, other places to go and things to do as this uh, many, many things are going on in your life. But I always ask the same two questions at the end of my podcast. So the first question is, what is a question that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you?
1: Okay, so I guess one question might be um, if people are interested in trying to help me save this little corner of the world what can they do and so what i would say is you know our petition is still accepting signatures and um the more the (laughs) merrier so that's going to be in the notes and so if people could sign that that would be a huge help and tell other people as well
0: yeah so when you get that pop-up that says would you like to share this on social media definitely yes 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 after you signed please
1: do yes the more that we can get the world out word out in social media the better um, so if you can tell people about this, tell people about this podcast, tell people about the petition. Google, there are now um, articles that have come out in English. So AP, um, the, the Newswire service, has done a couple articles already. The New York Times did an article um, at the end of April about... Um, Jingu Stadium, which is the historical stadium that's going to be raised as part of this plan. Um, Mm. For people who know American baseball, it's like a Wrigley Field or a Fenway Park. It's very historical. And they're just going to like tear it down and throw it out.
0: Right
1: yeah so it's yeah. it's so anyways there's a uh, there's an article about that that just came out in yeah. the new york times
0: so it's not just the trees it's also the the history it's of baseball it. which is actually the na- national sport in japan people talk about sumo yes. but baseball is right, the national right, exactly. sport of japan
1: and there was a survey of japanese baseball fans and they said that jingu stadium was their second favorite stadium wow. why would you just tear down the second favorite stadium in the country it's just crazy yeah what's the
0: favorite stadium is it uh, of yokohama yokohama yokohama
1: Yes, oh. I thought that was interesting. And Koshien I think, was number three or four. Right,
0: yeah, which have got yeah. these, like, you know, I can see the Koshien with its, you know, again, like historical background, it's part right. of the culture. Right, um, well, you know, so- the thing
1: is about Ko Xi'an is that it's actually older than Jingo Stadium mm. and it was recently renovated beautifully. And the renovation won awards and they did it during the off season so it didn't interrupt the baseball season. Right. So it's it, so the the I'm learning also lots of Japanese vocabulary through this process, and one of them is, um, rokuka, which means like old or decrepit or outmoded, and it's basically a word that developers use to slap on something that they want an excuse to tear down. Mm. So they've deemed Jingu Stadium rokuka, but there's no reason why it couldn't be renovated. They renovated yeah. Fenway Wrigley, and they
0: renovated Kosciusko. No reason yeah. you couldn't do the same thing. Mm, having those, uh, yeah, I, I understand. You know, there's a lot of challenges because, of course, you know, earthquake structure. The the requirements have oh, it's changed. A, it's, of already, it's, it's already it's already been earthquake proofed. Yeah.
1: Jingo Stadium right. was earthquake proofed in 2016. Right, so that's
0: a pretty recent. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, well, there's a recent, will, yeah. there's a way. Right. Exactly. So yes. Well, it, yes. Yeah, but so they finally. haven't
1: even looked at it. And in fact, I was at a meeting with officials um from the government that was um, related to the rugby stadium the rugby stadium is actually owned by the japan sports council which is part of the sports agency which is part of the ministry of education Mm. and so there was a a meeting with government officials last year and um that was related to the rugby stadium because there's this national role and i asked the government representatives at any point did you do a study comparing costs and benefits of uh, rebuilding the stadium versus renovating it and they said no like how could you not even do that type of basic comparison it was just completely assuming well we're just going to redevelop it without Mm -hmm. even examining the possibility of of restoring it and you know with with global warming etc scholars say that it's much, much better for the environment to reuse existing buildings than to tear them down and build new ones. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, Japan is addicted to what they call "scrap and build." They use the mm. English words from it for it of just tearing stuff down and rebuilding it. And it's mm. a really bad habit that the basically the Japanese government and the Japanese construction companies and economy are are stuck in of tearing things down and rebuilding them. And it just it doesn't make sense environmentally anymore.
0: Yeah, there's very, very few on the old buildings around, like, yeah. And as soon as, it, you know, yeah, we're in a new build and already I know that no other family will live in this house. After, you know, after we <laughs> we slip off this mortal coil, it uh, will be knocked down. No one else will live here and it will be rebuilt because I see it happening all around me. I live in course, the, yeah. the Shtamachi uh-huh. and um there are some people who are trying to do things to like retain, re- renovate the old Nagaya and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah. just really feeling the the value of you know individual efforts to repair the world, right. to reuse, to mm-hmm. recycle the world, and to like get together with that network of other people and everyone like using those different um unique skills and talents that they have. And maybe it's something that like you said, you know, your your friend commented, "Oh, you're so brave." Well. I didn't realize that this was a brave thing to do. This is something which is easy and natural for me to do. So it might be listeners may have talents or resources or just ways of being that feel very normal to them, but are actually quite unique and special. And it's not how people other people operate. Right. Don't take them for granted. Um, No, that's a
1: really good point. So that kind of goes in that you're good at a quadrant of the Ikigai. There may be things that, Feels so natural to you. You don't even realize that it's a talent that you have.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh that's it, that's a thing. Could people not do that. I thought that was normal. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's good to good to get that feedback and be surprised by it. And so my final question for you though, Rochelle, before we wrap up today. Um, a final message for you. Maybe it's a call to uh, repair the repair the world or something else, a final message you'd like to give uh listeners of oh, Vicky Guy with Jennifer Shinkai.
1: Well, I definitely want to encourage everyone to think about what are the things that they really care about and to not be afraid to speak up about those things.
0: Yeah. Love that. So just to spend that consideration and then, yeah, voice it, voice it. Um, Take the step. Not hesitate. Yes. Wonderful. And as we had said, um, in where we were chatting beforehand, you know, sometimes that you're not quite ready at the time for the opportunity, and if uh, if this had happened to you when you were yeah 20 20 years old, maybe you wouldn't be um, you know getting all of these inter- in TV interviews and 200,000 signatures and uh, making such an impact. So these things which can be our source of our ikigai. They they come, they show up in surprising ways. And they may not be something that we planned. Um, right. And the the world kind of presents those opportunities for us. So as you said, like, do I care about it? Yes. Therefore, I'm going to do something about it.
1: And I think what you really have to do is you have to listen to that inner voice that says that it is something I care about. Yeah. What 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 do you feel about it? And you know, for me, I've just sort of felt really natural. Hey, this is something I want to spend time on. And so I just listened to that voice that I had.
0: Wonderful. I love that. That's a great closing message to listen to the voice. And thank you to everyone uh, who's listened to Rochelle's voice today. I'm sure you're all gonna go off and um, sign the petition and maybe take a look on change.org or other uh, platforms to see what's something that I can get involved with. And you know, signing the petition is, is one step, um, but there's definitely other ways that you can be involved in this project as a volunteer or in something else, which is the inner voice is calling you to. So I hope that people come away from the end of this podcast feeling inspired uh, to take some action and repair the world. That's my takeaway for today. So thank you so much, Rochelle. really appreciate it. And, Thanks uh, so
1: much, Jennifer. This thank been you. Great.
0: Good luck. I hope you win. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below and let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today and sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.